Hi, this is Sylvan. When I started my first company, Jim Hopper, I had to learn how to calculate and pay salaries. No one taught me these things at university, so I had to ask my accountant at the time for help. Their solution was a clunky Excel file where I could manually calculate salaries each month. Not only did that mean lots of manual work, but also the very real possibility of errors slipping through the cracks. Meanwhile, dedicated software has replaced Excel, but Quit Business goes one step further. This ETH spin-off not only supports, but also takes over the entire administration of employees for startups. From the registration with the authorities, to the selection of insurances, to managing the entire payroll accounting. All you need to get started are a few mouse clicks. Simple, efficient, and error-free. Visit quit.business and get the service one year for free with the code SWISSPRENEUR. That's Q-U-I-T-T dot business. We are very different personalities and we have very different skills as well. And, and I think important is that, that also then you can complement each other. You have your own area of what you do. And I think if you can achieve that, then I think it's, it's, it's a great thing to do. And, uh, and this kind of trust relationship you have, of course, as a couple, uh, that's something very special as well, which brings you to great lengths, I believe. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Daniel, Marie, a very well welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Very nice to be here. Yeah, Thank you. Here. <laughs> You're the co-founders of Ego Movement, a company that is evolving mobility with an E and the dash in between. Correct. <laughs> Before we talk about your company, I actually want to start with your personal background. Daniel, you had an unusual career. You studied, then you built one company, then you had a corporate career, and now you're basically back at entrepreneurship. So did you feel like you needed a break from running your own businesses in between? Um, no, not really. Actually, the opposite. Um, so my first business, I built it actually during my studies uh, of electrical engineering at the ETH. And I just felt at that time that uh, I wanted to, on one hand, work in Asia, actually, mm -hmm. after my studies, wanted more exposure. Uh, but the other thing as well, I, I thought I want to also see how this corporate world is and then what I can learn there, maybe. And yeah, so I just wanted to use this opportunity to, to take that chance and uh, take the leap and work in corporate. I actually, I, uh, I don't know if you know DKSH, um, it's a Swiss multinational. It's a um, huge company, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, they're... Uh, I think uh, 11 billion Swiss francs revenues, 30,000 staff. So, and I uh, spent several years in Asia working mm -hmm. for them. So I started in uh, in risk management in Hong Kong. Um, then I was three years in Vietnam. After that, uh, as a general manager of the business unit technology, then then I got promoted and I was leading their uh, DKSH second largest business in China, mm -hmm. which is also with uh, technology products. And uh, yeah, that was uh, was I, I really have to say also I, I learned a lot there. was was a great exposure and uh, had some quite challenging times. Uh, speedy environment, a lot of energy in Asia and uh, some crazy stuff like, I don't know, the bank suddenly calling in Vietnam, uh, no more US dollars, Daniel. Oh my God. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was, was really, really also very good energy and vibes. And I have to say, I really, really appreciated what I learned there with this corporate experience. But then for you, it was clear the startup world, entrepreneurship, that's your calling. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it was just kind of the right timing, I, mm -hmm. I thought. Uh, and, and yeah, I was uh, eight years in different places uh, in, in Asia and, uh, and we saw this opportunity and, uh, and, and we thought it's the right time to do that. Yeah. And, and of course, I mean, I, 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 I built a business during the studies. I had this passion for entrepreneurship yeah. and we thought it's, it's the right time uh, to do that. Perfect. And Marie, you are an engineer by training. You had a career in banking. But what then brought you to the business of sustainability? So I studied engineering because I always liked math. I'm an analytical person, but I also like to kind of make tangible products, make things. Yeah. Um, but uh, after I graduated, I started my career in banking with Merrill Lynch and also with consumer products at Procter & Gamble, so large MNCs. Um, but I've always liked to think about doing good and doing well. I think that partly came from my high school, which is the United World Colleges. Um, its basic pre president was the uh, Queen Noor and co-president was Nelson Mandela before, wow. a former president. So it's, it's a school wow. teaching people to make positive changes for mm -hmm. teenagers, basically, yeah. uh, making positive changes to the world. And I've always kept that in the back of the, my mind wherever I'm going. Um, so after my corporate career, I decided to go back to grad school. Um, mm -hmm. I went to Harvard Kennedy School. Um, and after I graduated together with my classmate, uh, we started a social enterprise uh, working in the Tibetan Himalayan Plateau, making yak cheese and uh, building businesses out of yak cheese and yak fiber. That's um, crazy. It was a crazy run. Uh, we always have this slogan, don't yak, but act, right? So get things <laughs> done. Um, yeah. so, so that was kind of 10 years of yakking. Uh, working on the plateau. And after that, I looked at different industries mm -hmm. uh, as well. So mobility caught my eye. And I said, hey, what can we do there? That also coming from a ma macro perspective, micro perspective, what could we do there that we could make positive change? So that's kind of how Ego Movement was born. Um, yeah. And you, you started the company in 2015. Yes. And you started that as romantic partners. So I'm going to ask you first, Daniel, is it... A risky business to start your company with a romantic partner? Or is that something that you say, hey, if you have the chance, absolutely do that. It's the best thing in the world. Um, to, to be honest, we, we have never really thought about that. Wow, okay. <laughs> so yeah. that time, really, when we started the company, this is not kind of a concern which we were thinking about or, yeah. or where we thought, ooh, that might be difficult or challenging and what would right. it bring for us? Um, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, we, we, are, we are very different personalities and we have very different skills as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think important is that, that also then you can complement each other you have your own area what you do yeah. and i think if you can achieve that then i think it's it's, it's a great thing to do and, uh, and this kind of trust relationship you have of course as a couple uh, that's something very special as well which brings you to great length i believe but i i couldn't now give every couple an advice <laughs> of uh, saying do it or don't do it Fair i think point. it very very much depends on yeah. On, on yeah your I guess the situation and your relationship as well. I mean, it's an idea of how to manage putting all your eggs in one basket, right? Sure. Both yeah. financially, emotionally, mentally. Yeah. Um, as Daniel mentioned, there are challenging times, but all you have to yeah. do is to learn how to manage your risks properly mm -hmm. at mm -hmm. any stage in time. Yeah. Um, so I think that's 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 how we we view it, right? And mm -hmm. if you were to 
put all your eggs in one basket. It's better be our basket. So it's like better to <laughs> bet on yourself, right? Of course. Do you have any example where you really had to to manage that risk and how you did it? Yeah, I mean, there were, there were, there were. To be frank, there were most probably so many challenging situations which sure. we have. I mean, this is. I think every startup is like that, right? You, you do have. I mean, it's always cyclical. You have a, a great high and then a very low yeah. low, and you, you always at the end of the day, it's always a journey. And mm -hmm. but um, now I would, I would say, what was one of the strengths we have? I would say as a couple as well. We are very adaptable people mm -hmm. and we are both, I think, also used to work in really challenging environments and in high speed environments. And we kind of together always found a way then to maybe reinvent ourselves to, uh, yeah, kind of find a different way again. And, and I think this is, this is very important. I think that you have that kind of capability. And then I think you can also manage these risks or, uh, yeah, or I mean, managing it is maybe, maybe a big word. <laughs> I think at the end you, you try somehow, I guess. <laughs> and Marie, you know, is there, we always talk about like separating the, the private life from the business life with you. That's very much intertwined, obviously. Is there any separation between when you work together and when you are just not working? Or is it so close to each other that you are also a bit on for business 24-7? I don't have work in my dictionary, actually. I think uh, if you like what you do, mm -hmm. um, you don't see that I don't see a fine line between both. So right. mm -hmm. you will constantly think about what you do. You constantly try to improve it. You constantly look up for better ideas, better products, uh, where to distribute, where to sell it. Um, it it's constantly rolling in your brain, right? Mm -hmm. And I think one of the, it could be advantage, disadvantage, but then you could be talking about it the whole day. <laughs> sure. Yeah. 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 I see that the same. I mean, but at the end, I mean, we, and most probably this is then also a, a strength again that you, you use also your free time or, I mean, this is somehow this baby is constantly in your brain and you, yeah, you, you're, it's your thing and you, mm -hmm. you also, yeah, you can use any kind of time and situation you have to also further develop that. So, so let's talk about your business with Ego Movement bikes and e-cargo bikes. You can basically drive in style and also emission free. First of all, is Ego's unique retro style what helps it stand out in the e-mobility market, which is getting more and more crowded? Um, I, think that I, I would say, I mean, it's, it's two things which, which make Ego Movement really stand out. And they, I think it's, it's a unique combination between lifestyle and technology. So the lifestyle part, this is what you mentioned, design. Yes, I mean, that stands out. And we, we won the Red Dot Design Award uh, 2016, for example, actually second year of when we had the company. That's uh, a big award, by the way. Congrats to that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And then last year, we won the German Brand Award as well. And wow. this kind of design and lifestyle angle, that's one thing definitely but the technology part is as well uh, it, it, it's special and there we for example we developed an, uh, an IOT platform mm -hmm. so our bikes now actually we are in the process of launching this now full scale uh, we just launched actually this week uh, the newest model really in the market which is fully connected um, so you can uh, locate it with GPS on your app on the Ego Movement app uh, cool. you can remotely unlock it you can park it at the train station and you then some completely somewhere else and you can unlock it for someone, for example. There's a lot of functionality, but so it's it's I would say it's this combination of technology and lifestyle which yeah. really puts us in a unique position. Amazing. It sounds a bit familiar to what people do with their Teslas, right? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it goes <laughs> into that direction. Yes, that's true. Yeah, yes. Amazing. <laughs> How does the carbon footprint of driving an e-bike 
compared to driving a car. Of course, when you drive it, you don't have any emissions, but there's much more involved to that, right? So we, we did a study with my climate about how our clients, they use their Eagle Movement e-bikes. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we if you, if you use a, an e-bike in general versus a car, you save 275 kilograms of CO2 equivalents per year. Yeah. That's kind of an average user. Of course, we had to take certain sure. assumptions. We did a survey actually how people use the bikes. And based on yeah. that, we got to this number. Nice. So this make it a bit more visible uh, because CO2 equivalent is always uh, it's a very, uh, yeah. <laughs> very kind of abstract number. But it means you're, you're planting two trees per year, actually. And, and cool. so we, we think this is, this is very important as well in, um, in, in our, uh, yeah, I would say in our value proposition or sustainability for us, of course, is a very important factor. And uh, yeah, so, so that's why also we further analyzed it with this study. And do you know more about your customers? Do they usually ditch their car and say, hey, I switched to an e-bike because of these reasons? Or is it more people who say, oh, I already use my bike. I now just want to upgrade to an e-bike. We um, actually, 54% of our customers, they substitute car kilometers with their EgoMove and e-bikes. Um, cool. Yeah, and, and we were also, we were really happy with, with seeing that. And, uh, and uh, but as a strategy, of course, as well, we said always, we want to be mobility. Uh, so for us, we always aimed at basically providing sustainable and stylish alternatives to cars and uh, or motorbikes, petrol power motorbikes. So that right. was kind of our thing. And um, yeah, so seeing that and the bike actually is only 5% uh, if you look at that. So this kind of that people use the bike and then they buy an e-bike. This is much less for us the case. Mm -hmm. Part of it is as well because we are not in sports, but we are really kind of everyday mobility. Nice. So our, our usual customers, they would uh, uh, like uh, commute to work, for example, then with a bike. Uh, they would maybe with a cargo bike uh, bring their kids to the kita uh, or go shopping. We have a lot of uh, customers actually having dogs as well. Nice. So we do uh, tailor-made doors for dogs in our cargo <laughs> bikes and such kind of stuff. <laughs> so uh, yeah, this is kind of a typical use, use case. For, for our products. And the price point is, of course, higher than a regular bike because you have much more features. Is that some, sometimes difficult to convince people that, hey, this is a worthy investment, not only for your well-being, but also for the environment that you should actually take? It's higher than a bike, but much lower than a car. Right. Yeah. So our price point is around 2,005 uh, mm -hmm. to 5,000 Swiss franc. Um, so for starting with the e-bike to the cargo bike, right? Yeah. Um, and we position ourselves as mid-end pricing. Mm -hmm. So in Switzerland, uh, we are in a very strong um, market segment with our right. positioning. And if you go abroad, let's say in Germany, um, Yes, it's a little bit on the higher mid to high side, yeah. uh, but still it captures a big part of the market for us. So, yeah. yeah. And I want to continue talking a bit more about the sustainability aspect. So we know that the electrical vehicles are emission free by the use of it, but there's much more behind it. And that is your supply chain, right? So how do you ensure sustainability in your supply chain when actually building the product? 
So we, on one hand, we work uh, according to the BSCI principles, this Business Social Compliance Initiative. So we, that means we visit our suppliers, of course, regularly. We audit them. We give them very clear guidelines on what they can do, what they should do. And we are really supervising them very closely. So this is one thing how we can really ensure that uh, we get uh, really uh, products which are not just in the right quality and the right price, but products which are all also fair produced, uh, which are ethically produced, and this is very important for us. The, the other thing as well, which uh, which we do is we try always to find um, uh, use cases. For example, batteries, of course, is a big topic, right? Uh, sure. So there we, we try to find uh, ways to, for example, use the batteries once they are they don't have enough capacity anymore for motive applications, like for the e-bikes, mm -hmm. uh, that they can be used, for example, in um, uh, uninterrupted power supply. Uh, there's a startup as well in uh, in Zurich doing such kind of applications and cool. uh, with them we are starting a project now but uh, or for example we have a project as well for tiny houses nice. um, with solar panels then that you have a completely uh, autark uh, uh, system then and you store the, the power from the solar system in the in the e-bike batteries and then of course one is not enough we should put sure. the, we package them then uh, but these are these are use cases as well where you can uh, reduce the, the negative impact which you have with batteries and we are trying there on, on every front basically to contribute. Right. And you're a Swiss company, but of course, manufacturing happens outside of Switzerland. So in many decisions that you had to make, you had to decide, do we actually outsource it or do we keep it in-house? This is a very important strategic decision. So my question to you, Marie, how do you make these decisions about what to keep in-house and what to outsource? I think at every stage of the business, this question is constantly being evaluated, yeah. right? Based on price, based on quality, and based on efficiency. Mm -hmm. So when we started the business, um, we and even up to date, um, we actually have a production facility in Malisellen, right wow, okay. <laughs> around the corner here, nice. and uh, where we do the finishing of the bikes here. Yeah. So. Obviously, for the the e-bikes, um, a lot of the components like Shimano, these famous uh, components are sourced from Asia. Mm -hmm. um, and we do the final assembly here uh, because we want to manage the quality. We want to manage um, basically uh, the, a smooth production until the end, right? right? Before we hand over the bike to the customer, it is very important for yeah. us. But of course, it's as well, I mean, the scalability of this model is a, yeah. is a very, very important factor. And so I think as, as a startup, you have to constantly kind of reevaluate uh, at, at what stage in time you want to do things yourself. Mm -hmm. Also, what things you consider really being core for your business, being really part of the DNA uh, and, and, and what uh, things maybe you can much easier outsource to someone who can do it better, who can do it more efficiently right. or, uh, or cheaper. <laughs> Did, did you also think about that question from a leverage standpoint? Because, for example, a design has a huge amount of leverage, right? If it's a great design, you can replicate that a million times and generate value. Well, if you do the assembly yourself, that is more difficult to have a high leverage behind it. Yeah. So is like the high leverage work something that you tend to keep in-house? I wouldn't necessarily say that. I think, I mean, yes, in terms of scalability, of course, scalability. And I, I come to that uh, maybe a bit later. Sure. We for sure we talk about that. I mean, what are the plans? And we are scaling in several markets now. And so that that that's a factor. But I would say also, 
for us, important is actually the customer at the end, mm -hmm. right? And actually, I mean, for us also, this is how we started the business, right? It's it's our needs as well. Um, we actually, these products which we developed, we wanted them as well for ourselves. And we were looking this. for something for ourselves to use. <laughs> and that's how we started the business initially. And so the customer need and, and we as a customer or our customers nowadays in the business, they they are always they should be always the focus and that's super yeah. important and so for us it, it's also a question what adds value in the customer journey for our customers and mm -hmm. i think these are the parts which you also should keep in a company right. but i love this the customer centricity and you built the products for yourself that's how you started i think that is the best starting point for any company like yeah. amazing. <laughs> the problem didn't exist. We had to make exactly. it so we can use it. <laughs> exactly. You solved your own problem. Then you said, oh, there are actually other people out there who have the same problem. I just solve it for them as well. Yeah, true. <laughs> so the other topic is distribution and sales. So this is, of course, a very important part. You have to design, you have the products that you created, basically, but then you also want people to use them. So how do you go about that challenge? Distribution and sales who does what and what do you do yourself prior to consumer? Where do you look for partners? How do you make these decisions? You want to maybe well, we started the company mm -hmm. with the idea that we would like to have our own branded shops, because mm -hmm. if you compare to all the existing, what's existing in the market, people distribute through uh, resellers. Yeah. Um, when you have a problem that you have a hundred bikes in one shop, um, the reseller yeah. is always pushing the model that they have stock or they can uh, highest margin, right? <laughs> yeah. um, so and at that said, time, no. actually, two two fifteen, that was also that was very that was industry disruptive. I mean, we're basically the only guys who were first going with own stuff. like a Tesla car, right? Yeah. But yeah. people would, of course, think you're crazy doing that yourself, right? There were lots of people who thought like that, yes, absolutely. But the customer experience is very important for us and mm -hmm. being able to get first-hand information from the customer that would yeah. basically reflect back into your product development, your, yeah. your customer service, everything that mm -hmm. goes behind it yeah. um, was very important. And so we said, yes, we're going to build a brick and mortar, have our own shops out yeah. there, mm -hmm. um, flagship shops. Um, mm -hmm that you walk in as a lifestyle shop. So it's also presented in a very different manner yeah. uh, that we were able to sell direct to our customer. Obviously, mm -hmm. we have an omni-channel approach. So we have our own flagships and then we have our own e-com site, right, yeah. online. Mm -hmm. um, and as we are scaling the business, um, we are also looking at it differently now. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, yeah. if you cross country, go abroad, um, then we would have to work with the distribution partners um, that mm -hmm. would be enable us to grow much more rapidly yeah, yeah. Right. and it's of course i mean it's 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 also the, with scaling and with getting to bigger volumes i mean it it's always a, a question about uh, on one hand speed right mm -hmm. own stores i mean they're great the customer experience is wonderful and all that but but it takes a lot you know to really scale that and to find the right so you need teams you know who really build this quickly sure. and and so the speed factor you you can reach higher volumes of course faster if you have a bit of a hybrid approach mm -hmm. Uh, and you work with resellers as well. The second thing, definitely, it's working capital, right? I mean, uh, that's a big it, investment. It, absolutely. I mean, own stores. It's it's really costly, and uh, and it it binds so much capital. And mm -hmm. if you work with resellers there as well, uh, that that uh, that that's different, and it gives you, I would say, a, a broader approach. So we have a kind of a two tier approach now uh, of going with own so 
customers, but also working with distributors or resellers, actually, in, particularly in other markets. But Switzerland as well, we have kind of broadened it up now. Nice. But going for this own flagship stores, right? That's a bold move because it's, again, quite a risky decision. How do you calculate the business case behind that? I mean, you need to be pretty confident to then hit the numbers that you need to make it work, right? Yes, true. No, that's true. And I mean, <laughs> this, this is also now, I mean, still now and, and before, right? It's, it's, it's uh, back of the envelope uh, calculation. I mean, right. you know your rent, you know your salary costs, uh, you know how much you need to sell then, uh, you know your marketing. Uh, but it's, it's, you do a quick store P&L, right? Uh, where you really look, uh, are we profitable with a store in a certain location? And I think this is the agility again then. I mean, you if it doesn't work, you have to be quick. You have to cut cut it and, and stop it. And if it works well, uh, then you have to do more of it. And uh, But I think at the end of the day, you always have to evaluate things in, right. in such a way. Before you were talking about managing the risk, you know, with the personal relationship tied to the business, here, that's a very different managing the risk. Did you do any, like, shorter-term rental contracts for the store or anything of that sort to try to manage the risk and make sure, hey, we take this bet, but if it's not going to work out, we can actually leave that store or location, whatever, yeah. earlier than, than we might have to otherwise. Absolutely. Actually, for almost all rental contracts, which we did in the last, I would say, three years, yeah. we always insisted that we have a clause on it that after one or one and a half years, we can exit if we see it yeah. doesn't work. Yeah. And we started with pop-up shop. Yeah, nice. To test the location, yeah. uh, see the customer flow, see the traffic, um, yeah. see if that sort of setup works. Mm -hmm. um, and if it does, then we move it to a permanent, as a permanent location. Nice. Yeah. You built, basically built your own MVP from a pop-up shop, yes. so to speak. Amazing. Mm -hmm. And it, it sounds like you're also very, you know, digitally focused in terms of you have multi-touch points, you have your customer and you want to make sure that they have the best experience. How do you manage your customers across the different channels and once they have became become a customer, you know, also make sure that, you know, they keep happy, they keep hearing from you. How do you sort of enhance the customer experience? Well, when we started, it was a lot of word of mouth. Right. So we didn't have a lot of marketing budget. Of course, so yeah. it was really that we had to take care of the customer. Um, we have to give them a good experience and they would talk about us to their friends. Right. So that's kind of how we had this word of mouth mm -hmm. um, kind of pull through and we had to take care of the customers with having a, a, a good community. Um, that's really important um, that we have community events. We have community uh, basically coming back for service. Customers that come back for service are being taken care of properly. Um, yeah. But I, I would also say, actually, this is an area where we could still do better. But, uh, yeah, I was going to say, we, yeah. but we can yeah. always do better because <laughs> yes. um, this is a journey um, yeah. and customer needs also change mm -hmm. um, and they grow and this is something yeah. you, you could always improve on. And I also think, I mean, we we have, I think we have a, quite a strong kind of fan base of, of Ego Movement e-bike users. They are their fans. They like the products. And and it's 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 really cool uh, also to see I mean, every time when I ride from Erlikon to uh, to Europale, for example, from headquarters to, to the store, I see at least four or five bikes on the way. And, <laughs> and it's so cool. And and uh, then you, you also, and, and you see people, they how they use the products and they're, mm. they're really engaged and they like it. But I think we could do much more with that and kind of, form and shape this community more and engage with the community also yeah. much more. I think that's still room room for improvement, I would say. How would you do that? What, what do you have in mind there to make it even better than it already is? 
Mm, well, I think one thing is, I mean, we have this IoT platform, the connectivity platform, right. and that, of course, it, it offers huge uh, possibilities for that to, I don't know, organize a spontaneous ride, you know, for the <laughs> ego riders yeah. uh, together, or I don't know, uh, do a picnic in the park uh, sure. with, with your bikes and such things, or yeah, be community events, but also be be it uh, kind of uh, advantages for the community and then mm. kind of to link the community more. Yeah. And, but I think, yeah, I, the IoT platform, that, that's a very strong uh, tool, of course, to also right. do this in the future. Would that also allow you to, for example, build like a marketplace where people could rent out their bikes because you can unlock them, right? And then you could have additional revenue on top of that. Is that also something you're considering or thinking about? Uh, absolutely, and we, yeah, I don't know if you, you want to talk about this. I mean, we had, we had some ideas in that right. direction. It's a great idea, especially we have a much uh, uh, of a younger product now. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a new product called Scarabaeus, uh, which is fully IoT-based. And uh, we think with a younger product, you, we would have a lot more of this community right. be able to, to, to do these sort of uh, sharing listing. Yeah. Yeah. Or test drives. We also thought that, you know, you, you can maybe test a product with an existing user. And uh, because of this, you can unlock it flexibly. So this is this much easier sure. as well. Right? Yeah, imagine you, you purchase the bike and then while you're at work or whatever, you can rent it out and actually make passive income. Yeah. How cool is that? Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Yes. Crazy. <laughs> so then fast forward 2021, something big happened. TVS Motor acquired an 80% stake in Ego Movement and did that at the company valuation of 21 million Swiss francs. That's a crazy step. So why was that the right decision for you to actually sell the majority of the stakes? Well, I mean, for us, we we thought that, that TVS is a really good partner um, because we wanted to uh, really further scale the business. We wanted to expand. And TVS is, of course, is a, a really large global player. It's one of the five largest uh, two-wheeler companies globally. And they are also have three billions with strengths revenue, so really a big player. And, and for us, this, this, it opened up very new possibilities, I would say, and, and a lot of synergies as well. And uh, we, we thought this is, it's a great opportunity. Um, but besides being a big company, what was what was also very important for us is the companies in the fourth generation uh, in family hand, and we we also felt there there's this passion for uh, for product on one hand, the passion for engineering as well, and this is of course it's very different than for example a private equity player and uh, right. and so that yeah they, all these factors they they uh, they led to the fact that we thought this is it's really a good match actually. So it was also a value fit. So to speak. Yes. Correct. That's crucial. Yeah. Yeah. It's rapid growth and value fit. Yeah. Ah, nice. And talking about growth, that's probably a decision or sort of a trade-off you had to make multiple times along the years between profitability and growth. How did that acquisition change that in any way? Well, I think I'm on, on profitability. Profitability is always a, it's always a challenging word, right. uh, particularly, of course, in a startup environment. But it's always a, a thin red line because if, if you want to expand rapidly, if you really want to grow, then obviously you're less profitable, right? Yeah. And uh, and I think it's always way, weighing up the two and finding kind of the right balance. Uh, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, 
But yeah, I mean, if you look at uh, the current environment, of course, generally with the markets, uh, with, with raising interest rates and, and all that, I mean, profitability is becoming a big focus, of course. And uh, I would say it's, it's, it's much more in the center as well than, than it might have been uh, over the last few years where the whole market environment was different. Yeah. And TVS claims that it wants to scale up ego sales from 10 million to 100 million revenue in three to five years. So talk about a pretty tall order and a big ambitious goal. Is that actually, you know, something that you can do together with that strong partner? Just one word, yes. Yeah, <laughs> sure. very simple. How, how are you going to do that? Because that also seems from my outside perspective for you as founders, like a lot of pressure to actually deliver it now 10x the company, basically. Yes, uh, any positive pressure is good because yeah. it really propels you. Um, further. Um, mm -hmm. But obviously, uh, together with TVS, we have developed a strategy, um, a roadmap going forward. Um, we have looked at targets. We have looked at KPIs, uh, mm -hmm. uh, how we're going to move the company forward uh, mm -hmm. by building uh, a strong organization, um, obviously, to support the growth um, yeah. it, in all the phases of growth to support the international expansion. Um, we would need this whole kind of back end to support this. So we together mapped out these strategies and we are just pushing ahead. Right. And we're always up for a challenge, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I think this is in our DNA and uh, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I mean, looking at you here in the studio, I can tell you're full of energy. You're like, let's get this done. Let's go to the 100 million revenue. You don't seem any tired or anything at all. It's like, hey, let's do this. <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah, I think if you uh, like what you do, you just yeah. do it. Of course, yeah. Yeah. And I also wonder, this was a big change, right? You sold 80% of the company. What did that mean for you on a personal level? And also what changed on a personal level after that deal? Um, to, to be frank, not not that much. I mean, uh, on, on a personal level, I mean, we, we, we still do what we like at the end of the day, right? And well, Marie? Yeah, same for me. I don't think anything has really changed uh, in that in that sense yet. But I mean, there's also money involved, right? So this didn't change anything for you, didn't you? Like oh, money doesn't buy you happiness. Sure, that's true. <laughs> but did, did you celebrate that in any way, or did you like uh, purchase something together, or what did you do when the money was in the bank account? I like I like good red wine, so yes, okay. I did open a good bottle <laughs> for sure. Uh, but but at the end of the day, you know, I mean, yeah, money gives you gives you options, and 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 yeah. but it, it it doesn't it doesn't really give you happiness as such. And you know, we we are really, I mean, I think we are also we're really passionate about a challenge I mentioned, right? About about uh, building businesses. I would say in general, this is something we really like. I would say, and and this is also giving us a lot of drive and a lot of spirit. Yeah. And uh, also in that sense, uh, not nothing has changed, and <laughs> we're still still doing what we like. You're still on the same mission as before, basically, now just with a partner. Yes, yeah. correct. I like that. So now let's also talk about the future. So you're in business with 12 stores across the Dach region and you're cutting the edge of smart mobility. You're really innovative. You win design awards. On one hand, I mean, I think there's kind of two two topics I would say which are which are very relevant. One is one is the expansion, um, the kind of strategy to 
go into different channels, be it with the resellers, but also go into different geographies, right? Uh, so at the moment, actually, we are, we are, uh, so we have eight stores in Switzerland, mm-hmm. four stores in Germany, and we are uh, 16th of June, we are opening in Vienna, the first store. Amazing. Um, and so this is then Italy, France, UK, geog- our geographies where we are expanding as well. So this kind of expansion, that's for sure one thing, which mm-hmm. is now the, the next step. Um, the other thing on the product side is is the, the connectivity platform, which yeah. we have it for one model now and actually, but we are rolling it out for the whole product portfolio at the moment. And nice. I think for me also connectivity is uh, being an electrical engineer and, and also liking um, uh, kind of gadgets, but also liking smart products products in general it's not the question of oh should the bike be connected for me it's natural to have this connectivity and and i was super surprised you know also there four or five years ago when we went into that direction already and i was surprised that other brands didn't really do that and um yeah so for me this will change a lot and i think your your e-bike it's it's not just a means of transport and brings you for a to b mm-hmm. but it really becomes part of your lifestyle um and it's really uh, yeah it's it's kind of integrated into what you do on a daily basis i'm really impressed by your passion for what you do and i think that's a beautiful thing to have and i take away two key things you focus on your customers relentlessly and you solve your own problem on getting there and the second thing is you always took the risk out. You you tested things, although they seem to be very big risks, and some of them certainly were, you always try to, you know, control and manage the risk to make sure that you can actually get to where you want to be. Super impressive from my perspective. So mm-hmm. huge congratulations on on your journey. Thank you. Thank you. I think for every journey it's important to have your vision and you relentlessly go towards it. Right. Yeah. And if that is aligned with your, you know, intrinsic motivation, your natural curiosity, so to speak, that's when you can really move mountains, right? You want to align that. So to wrap up the conversation today, I also want to ask you some rapid fire questions. So I give you a short question and in most cases it will be answered, you you can answer in one sentence, but it will probably not be possible in in all questions. So (laughs) let's start with the first one. We heard your story. We heard how you started and built and scaled your company. But where and how did the two of you actually meet? <laughs> actually, we, we, we met uh, at an airport in South China. <laughs> and here, just, I, I let Marie tell her own part of sure. the story, or her version of the story. <laughs> we were fighting for a taxi, uh, actually, at the airport. My version is I got it first. but <laughs> It was the last taxi at the airport, a taxi stand. That was before Uber existed. So <laughs> you have to get, get it and we end up get it in the same taxi Uh, that's how we met and we also realized that actually i was uh uh, writing my master thesis in hong kong at that time Mm -hmm. Uh, so i studied at eth but i i wrote the six month thesis i did it at hong kong university and we also realized uh we actually just live basically 200 meters from each other in hong kong (laughs) but we met at this airport so you then shared the taxi to go to the city Uh, yeah correct Amazing. The rest is history. <laughs> Which e-bike model do you own? Maybe with you first, Marie? Cleopatra Bronze 0.0 version. <laughs> nice. And you, Daniel? 
Me as well. Actually, I have a prototype, uh, which it's it's still it's actually the first uh, bike which we, which we developed, which I still ride mostly. I, of course, I mean we we also test our, for, for example, the Scarabeus, this new bike. Uh, I have been using that now uh, um, to just see how it is and, and sure. yeah, kind of on a daily basis. But but the, the bike I still like most actually is this first bike and nice. the first prototype. Amazing! It's black with uh, with uh, brown tires. Cool. Mm-hmm. And what is your biggest environmental sin? <laughs> For me, I think it's, uh, I, I love to shower hot in the morning and then ice cold, actually. <laughs> but uh, so I, I hope it, it balances a bit with the temperatures. But yeah, showering hot is not a good thing. I know that. If it's the same duration, that's fine, right? You have the average. <laughs> true, that's true. <laughs> Flying long distance to Hong Kong. That's where I'm from. Yeah, of yeah. course. <laughs> And when you disagree on a business issue, if if that happens, how do you bridge the disagreement? Shout. <laughs> Shout yeah, it we, out. We, we, both, it we both have cried big, big lungs. And yeah, I mean, it can end up in a shouting match. But uh, but at the end, it's normally quite constructive, actually, I would say. And you said you have different paths, but then in the end, you arrive at the same conclusion yeah yeah i, I mean we, we are very different people we have different strengths and we, we have different ways of working as well i would say um but again on i think on key topics yeah we we, we arrive at the same uh, the same conclusion at the end yes amazing that's a wrap from my side marie daniel thank you so much for coming on the show again big congratulations on what you've built and i'm really excited to see how you take it to the next level to the 100 million revenue hopefully Thank you. Thank you so Thank much, Simon. It was great to have the discussion. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs. <laughs>